0: What's going on guys, what's up with it? Mamuka Say, bonjour. Hoi, fuck. What's going on guys, what is up with it? Mamuka Seili Vukenjani, hoi amora, bonjour. Okay, that's maybe a bit too long, but welcome to the Ranting Zimbo. I'm Brian Mujati, and this is my podcast. Second swing of the bat, attempt number two. You know, the first attempt. Well, I think I'm I'm happy with it. You know, it wasn't it wasn't great, but it wasn't particularly shit either. Which is kind of the story of my life. Yeah, fuck it, it went well. I played it for my wife, and she was like, "Oh, this started off all snappy and high paced, like one of your YouTube videos where you talk too fast," which I guess is a fair criticism. But I think I sort of eased into it as I went along. And then she was all, "Oh, you got some nerve doing a podcast all by yourself," and I was like, "Well, yeah." I mean, what else am I supposed to do? You know, like how in radio you got your classic duo setup, like a straight man and a comedian, and they sort of bounce things off each other. But I mean, what am I gonna do? Phone a friend? So I'm like, what do you want me to do? Just pick the phone up, call someone up, and I'm like, hey, come, come hang out with me in our wardrobe. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous. There's, <laughs> there's no production team here, all right? There's no studio. There's no one checking the levels. It's just me, a microphone sitting on the floor in the wardrobe. Well, this week we got a beer, so Let's see how that goes. Oh, you hear that? That is the sound of the day getting instantly better. Today I got myself a can of Belching Beaver, peanut butter milk stout. Let's give this one a sniff. Oh, wow. <laughs> that smells exactly like you'd imagine it. That smells like a peanut butter chocolate milkshake. Belching Beaver is a crazy name for a brewery. I'll tell you that much. Cheers to those wish us well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's a great bait right there. Hold on a second, let's, uh, let's go again. Oh wow, that's awesome. Available soon at theeltav.com. <laughs> but um yeah, it really tastes it tastes like a like a better Guinness with chocolate and peanut butter added. That's that's probably the best way to describe it. It's 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 wow. These white people they think of every Oh yeah. It's the little things in life, isn't it? My point is, this, this is it. You know, whatever content I'm going to create is always just going to be just me. There is no other way I know how to do this shit. But speaking of uh, unsupportive women, I just finished watching the new season of House of Cards. And oh my God, <laughs> it's, it's almost like I'm watching Breaking Bad all over again. I don't know, it was sometime late season two, early season three, it hit me. I was like, Walt, buddy, do yourself a favor and kill Skylar right now. Because from that moment on in that show, at least 90% of his problems from Tuco, Jesse, Gus, Hank, almost everything stemmed from the fact that he was married to that woman. And she was all in his ear, screwing around with his conscience, telling him about morals and shit. You know how the saying goes, behind every great man is a great woman. You want to be a Barack, you need a Michelle, blah, blah, blah. Trust me, that is bullshit. Well, at least in TV it is. There is no such thing in TV as a great man, there's a great woman beside him. Trust me. That's like every great leading man's Achilles heel in TV. I mean, the last thing Tony Soprano needed was Edie Falco. Was, what was Edie Falco's name in this film? Carmella? The last thing Tony Soprano needed was Camella fucking telling him about morals and shit. That's like the demise of everyone. Stringer Bell and The Wire, Stringer Bell and Luther. You know, no matter what that guy acts in, I'm always like, oh, there goes string Stringer Bell. I, th- I think he's Mandela in this one. You know, I actually met that guy once. Before. That was yeah, Heathrow we just landed from a game in France, I think it was. This is, like, way back in the Northampton days. Yeah, we we came out of a departure gate, and there he was, chilling by himself, leaning against the wall outside of WH Smith, fiddling with his phone. He was wearing shades, but I took one look at him, and I recognized him straight away, without even thinking. I woke up to him, I reached my hand out. I was like, "String, what up, man? He just smiled at me, all cool and shit, shook my hand. He was like, how's it going, man? I'm Idris. Oh, I, I I was I'm not gonna lie to you. I was just I was just very impressed by him. I was like, wow, no homo though. <laughs> I was so excited to meet him. I was like, oh, I like your work, man. And then we shook hands and I walked away. The whole thing must have lasted like what five seconds, but it was probably the smoothest celebrity encounter of my entire life. All the other ones have been an absolute shambles. Trust me. Oh, this is a fantastic beer. Anyway, where was I? Oh yeah. Women ruining the plot lines of great leading men, Don Pablo Narcos. If it wasn't for his underage wife, <laughs> constantly nagging him all the time, it would have been platas or plomos for everyone. But no, there she is, Oh Dios mio, Don Pablo, do the right th-. Fuck that, no. And now in House of Cards, is practically the exact same thing, because here's all Kelly Capo, just ruining everything. At this point, it's almost like Claire is actively trying to sabotage Frank in every scene she's in. And just like Walter, should have just cut his losses and killed her off. Probably sometime during that slow season. What was that, season three? Yeah, that probably would have helped with the ratings. Because from the beginning, whenever she's trying to be a politician, she's constantly embarrassed, Frank. She has these secret meetings, she's banging other dudes. Bitch, gotta go. Come on, Frank, you're better than this. Because at the end of this season, spoiler alert, here he is handing over the keys, giving her the Iron Throne. And he's like, sweetheart, please. Do me a solid and pardon me for the crazy criminal shit that I did to get you this gig. And all of a sudden, now uh, I gotta think about it. <laughs> After everything he did for, he even let her have a living fucking boy. Oh my God. To quote the great light-skinned prophet Chris Breezy, these hoes, bruh. Oh, hold on a second. Genocide, sweetheart, I love and cherish you. You are my rock. But with that being said, as a general rule of thumb, these hoes ain't loyal for shit. Okay? i'll say it again these hoes ain't loyal for shit write that down apart from youtube I you know i love you Sidon. and of course it goes without saying domestic violence is not a joke it's wrong it's pathetic it's not cool just want that to be because <laughs> just like that once you give a famous girl the old backhand quickly find that nobody takes you seriously anymore even if the shit you got to say is bible it's all politics. <laughs> hey domestic violence is not cool I'm just saying, we always need to hear both sides of the story. <laughs> what did what happen to Phil Collins? But yeah, you know, violence against women, domestic or otherwise, you know, not, not, not cool. Okay? Just, it's frowned upon. I'm just putting it out there. Mm, this is good, man. Yelta have it, no comp. But <laughs> speaking of The Sopranos, how good was that ending? That was, that's got to be one of the greatest endings of TV history, I mean. There was no dramatic action. There was no crazy plot twist. Just Tony chilling in a diner with his family like nothing happened. And then they just cut to a fucking journey song. <laughs> don't stop believing. White people love that fucking song, don't they? And you're sat there thinking to yourself, what is is, is that it? And it's just don't stop believing. <laughs> oh, man, I just I thought that was so cool. That was so that was so original. I think the best possible ending for House of Cards 1 would be for the whole thing to end next season. It kind of sucks when they start dragging shows along, you know like they do with Homeland and stuff like that. Homeland should have ended after like 4 seasons. From here I think the best way to close it out would be like what, a season long cold war between Claire and Frank, with them using like the entire US government as their pawns. Like they're still trying to prosecute Frank and Claire's all drunk with power so she just leaves him hanging. And then Remy pops out of nowhere still looking for revenge but this time he's backed by a billionaire and he can actually get to Frank because Frank's all on his own. Of course in an attempt to save himself Frank ends up getting involved with ICO. Then he gets tangled up in this huge mess and a whole bunch of senators are killed off. Of course, Claire is implicated because they're still married, and then all of a sudden Tom's body just shows up, she starts getting blackmailed about that, Doug tries to protect Claire and gets accidentally killed, the whole thing just becomes this great big clusterfuck of one cliffhanger after another. But eventually, at some point, maybe early in the last episode, they make peace, and for the rest of that episode, the writers are just sort of, you know, closing off people's stories, tying up loose ends and whatnot, and then right at the end, Frank heads to the White House to pick Claire up for dinner. He goes up to meet her, and there she is, in the Oval Office, all alone, signing off a few documents or whatever. They get to chatting, you know, do a bit of reminiscing, maybe even share a cigarette. Staring off into the distance, Frank says something along the lines of, You know, no matter how bad things got between us, I always knew we'd find each other again. Claire turns to him, takes one last drag of the cigarette, puts it out, and goes, I love you, Frank. Frank gently puts his hand on her cheek and kisses her. I love you too, Claire. And then bang, I don't know where he just starts stranding her. She's choking, she's trying to scream, she's fighting, she's knocking pencils, staples and shit off the table. But eventually, she just stops. And then suddenly she dies. And then he casually walks towards the door, camera filming from behind him. And just as he opens the door, black screen, roll credits. Now that, that would be a great ending. But long story short, I really enjoyed Asa I think it was a good season, but I think I think it's done its course now. It's time to wrap things up. Let's, let's break it in, Frank. Let's, let's call it a day. But back in the real world, I'm still injured, you know. Still plowing away with the four-kilo dumbbells. Losing gains at an exponential rate, but... I'm still fighting the good fight, because we are going down-swinging. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Lord, can we get a break? We ain't really happy here. Ja Rule had some hits, didn't he? I used to like Ja Rule, especially in his heyday. In fact, I'm going to be honest, I still listen to Ja Rule to this day. Perhaps not the coolest thing to admit to thousands of people. Really, Brian? Thousands, huh? Well, I don't know. Maybe. How do you work out how many people are listening to this shit out? Because <laughs> it took me like an hour to figure out how to get this podcast on iTunes, but in hindsight, it was actually pretty easy. It's, like, it's really just like, it's like a 10-minute job max, once you know what you're doing. And I did it all, ladies and gentlemen, with the power of Google. I am constantly blown away by just how far you can go in this day and age, just Googling your way through shit. Speaking of Googling shit, have you seen that Facebook video of that Kenyan guy? I forget his name. What's? In, I think it's like Julia something. But if you haven't checked this out, you gotta look this up. I think he's. I think he's called. They call him like the YouTube man or something. I'm gonna trump the story slightly, but in this day and age, facts are optional, right? But the basic story is that this Kenyan dude was just chilling in a hut somewhere in the Great Rift Valley. We're not talking the bright lights of Burg or beaches in Cape Town. We are talking Africa, you know, all bush, no running water, no electricity, jogging to school that's eight kilometers away, all barefoot, like some proper Serengeti shit. But somehow this guy ends up getting online and he starts watching these YouTube videos of these guys throwing javelins and he thinks to himself, oh, wow, that looks pretty cool. I'd like to give that a try. But this guy's got nothing. He's got nowhere to practice. He's got no coach. He's got no trainers. He doesn't even have a fucking javelin. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going for this. So he goes home and starts practicing with a stick and he comes back, watches more videos, goes back home, practices with a stick, comes back, watches more videos, back and forth and back and forth for years. By the time he's in his late teens, he's going to all these competitions and he's winning everything. Then he finds himself representing Kenya at the all Africa Games and he wins a gold medal. He goes to the Commonwealth Games, wins a gold medal. IAAF Grand Prix, wins a gold medal. Goes to the Olympics in Rio and he wins a silver medal. This cat googled his way from throwing sticks in his backyard to being an IAAF world champion. An Olympic silver medalist. <laughs> That's pretty crazy, huh? Now all of a sudden filling around with RSS feeds trying to set up a podcast. Doesn't seem so impressive, does it? But anyway, back to Jaw Rule. You know saying you like Ja Rule is like saying you like Bon Jovi. Because in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, FUBU, Sean John, Braids, you know that bling rap era. That was like the hair metal era of hip-hop. There was that slightly awkward '80s period of rock and roll music, you know, Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, White Snake. Like a Drifter, I was born to walk. Ah, packed stadiums, guitars, big hair, shit music. Ja Rules time was like the hip hop equivalent to that, because the golden age of rock and roll was that late '60s, early '70s period, you know, Hendrix, Zeppelin, Stones, Fleetwood Mac to a certain extent, I guess, you know, before they became a shitty pop band. Now there was, of course, the Beatles, but I wouldn't have them down as a classic rock band, you know. They did a lot of poppy shit. And then there was this huge vacuum, and before long it was just packed with disco and hair metal. But then after a few years, I guess things sort of swung back around, you know, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Audio Slave. Rest in peace, Chris Cornell. What a shame. i put it to you now that Chris Cornell is one of the best frontmen of any band ever. That voice is incredible. He's top five at least. Oh, that's a big shot, but yeah. For me top 5 would be him, Anthony Kiedis, Robert Plant, Eddie Vedder, who else? Kirk Bain. Yeah. Or oh, what? No no mention of no mention of Mick Jagger. Brian, people are getting angry. People are getting furious. People get furious when you do shit like that. But I'll be honest, I mean, The Stones had some good songs, but it it, it didn't really resonate with me. I mean, is that okay to admit? Is it okay to just be honest and say, yeah, The Stones were okay. I like sticky fingers, but honestly, I was way more into Incubus than I ever was into the Rolling Stones. I mean, I'm 32 for God's sakes. I, I didn't grow up with this shit. I'm telling you right now, there's people who are judging the shit out of me. That's why you should never tell anyone your top five of anything. It's way too intimate. It's like, it's like telling people you voted to leave the EU or you voted for Trump or some shit. When people hear that sort of shit, they immediately decide what kind of person you are. So when you list your top five bands, you got to say Zeppelin or you got to say the Stones, preferably both. Otherwise, people aren't going to take your other three picks seriously. It's the same thing in hip-hop. If someone goes to, hey, what's your top five rappers? You gotta go Biggie or you gotta go Tupac. Preferably both. Otherwise, no one gives a fuck what your other three picks are. And again, at the risk of being judged top five rappers, I'm gonna go Biggie, Nas, Jay-Z, Eminem, maybe Kendrick. What? No mention of Tupac. Yes, no mention of Tupac because I'm gonna be honest. The whole Tupac thing, I didn't get it, okay? I mean, he had some good songs, but for the most part, <laughs> I, I didn't get it, all right? Feel free to judge away. And on that uncomfortable note, let's segue into some rugby. Crack open another beer. How about those British lions, huh? I See, this is why I'd need a straight man, because at the very least you he could help me segue between topics. Mm, that's a very nice beer. What are you drinking now, Brian? My straight man would say and i am like, oh, I'm just enjoying a can of Mr. Blue. What is Mr. Blue, Brian? Mr. Blue is a rustic saison made with blueberries and is brewed by a brewing company called Duo in Denmark. That's a very strange name for a beer, Brian, isn't it? I know, but these beers are themed after the characters in Reservoir Dogs. This is Mr. Blue, and there's five other ones. Available at TheAltHaven.com Why thanks, Brian, I'll be sure to check that out. You do that, buddy. Maybe I do need a straight man. If I did have a straight man, you'd have to be a gay man. That would be worthwhile. Now that, that would be a goldmine for content. Oh, I'd have so many questions. And besides, rugby's pretty gay anyway, so we we'll would always just talk about that. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that one. Not like a loud and proud, flamboyant, listens to Lady Gaga type of gay guy but rather a deceptively straight seeming gay guy. The kind of guy you wouldn't readily suspect. The guy who grew up, you know, he had girlfriends, he played sports. But deep down he always had these weird occasional urges that he somehow managed to suppress and then at some point in his early twenties he was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm gay. That type of homosexual to me seems way more compelling because at the end of the day, I don't think being gay is a choice. Because when you think about it, that sort of person's always had this sort of internal wrestle, you know, with themselves, with God, with society. It'd be fun to pick my gay straight man's brain. I'd have so many questions. Like, I know nowadays there's all these apps and shit, but like back in the day, how, how would you guys spot each other in public and shit? That's mm, as good. You can, you can really taste those blueberries. But anyway, when you do spot someone and you get past all those initial relationship hurdles or whatever, and you really just get down to business, like like what are the what what are the logistics? Is there some type of prep for this sort of procedure? You know, like like how do you how do you work out whose gun goes into whose holster? Do do you guys like take turns with that type of shit, or is it just as much fun being a holster as it is a gun, or is the holster guy just doing the gun guy like a really big favor? And if it is, in fact, just as much fun being the holster as it is being the gun, the guy who is being the holster, is it possible that his gun is going to automatically go off because someone else is putting their gun in and out of his holster? <laughs> now, these, these are the real questions. But anyway, I was watching the Lions game this weekend and I realized, you know, have you, have you ever thought about just how gay rugby actually is? You know, I think rugby is probably the manliest, ironically gay thing you can do without people questioning your sexuality. Yeah, I know there's the occasional runner around the field, but I mean, who's kidding who here? Let's be honest. For the vast majority of the time, rugby is just a bunch of sweaty men piling up and rubbing up against each other's glutes and nutsacks. Especially when you play it properly and some of this shit when you say it out loud. Oh my god, it sounds horrific. So every couple of minutes, you know, someone drops the ball, right? So you huddle up with another guy and both of you have your arms over each other's shoulders. And now you're standing there, pressing your butt cheeks hard against each other, because, you know, it's got to be tight. And then you bend over into this sort of slightly semi-crouch position. And then suddenly, another guy just shows up, and he's already got his own little pre-cuddle thing going with another guy. But this guy kneels down behind you to the point where his face is like right up against your bum, right? And then in some sort of weird but acceptable form of encouragement, he gives you a big slap on the bum. And then he squeezes his head in between the two sets of butt cheeks. And with his other arm, he reaches in between your legs and grabs your shorts by that sort of belt buckle, belly button sort of area. And again, that bind's got to be tight. Otherwise, you end up being upset with him. And that bind ends up being so tight that either one of your testicles is squashed up on either side of his forearm. Can, Can you actually, can you picture that? That's my life. And as if that's not enough, your other bit is just squashed up against the palm of his hand. And sometimes you're unlucky and in the heat of the moment, he grabs everything as he reaches for your shorts and just squeezes. Oh my God. And then you lean over and you push cheek to cheek against your opposition. Now it's just 16 of you all crumpled up in there. And you're all just loving life. And a lot of the times the whole thing just collapses and, and you end up all piled up on top of each other and... I'm telling you, I've lost count of the amount of times I've been lying there, someone squeezing on my nuts, and then I thought to myself, yep, that, that is a penis, that is someone else's penis pressed up against my forehead. <laughs> Fuck. Good times, good times. Some of the best, I'll tell you, some of the best. It is like the gayest behavior in the straightest of settings. I, I think you could argue that the simple act of kissing another guy is way less intimate than a lot of that type of shit. I'm telling you, if you and 15 other guys got into the habit of regularly behaving like that in any other walk of life, you'd have to get yourself one of those rainbow flags and join the movement. So anyway, I spent a good amount of time reflecting on that type of stuff. And then for the rest of the time, I enjoyed the game. I must say, it, it, was, it was a pretty good game. I know it was a bit of a dodgy call in the end there, but I think all in all, it was, it was a fair result. Fair play to the Lions. I mean, they, they came out swinging, they gave it horns, hey, they played really well. You know it was actually a lot like I thought it was going to be The All Blacks came out looking the part All beast mode and shit They did their haka And then they just they just played badly That was the worst All Black performance I've seen in a very long time They were just missing opportunity after opportunity It was just like fucking hell They don't want to win this game at all do they And then of course there was that dodgy call right at the end Everyone's accusing my buddy Oh man I'm shitting the bed with that one But I, I don't know man That that was That was a tough situation For any referee to be in now the laws of rugby, oh, is it, is it, there's laws or rules? I don't, me, hold on, hold on a sec, let me, let me Google this shit. Uh, rugby, ah, oh, it's the laws of rugby. Anyway. Hmm. Oh, here it is. Thank God for fiber optic internet. In section 11.6 entitled accidental offside, which states, When an offside player cannot avoid being touched by the ball or by a teammate carrying it, the player is accidentally offside. And then it goes on to say, When a player hands the ball to a teammate in front of the first player, the receiver is offside. Unless the receiver is considered to be intentionally offside, then it says in brackets, in which case a penalty kick is awarded, close brackets. The receiver is accidentally offside and a scrum is formed with the opposing team throwing in the ball. So there's two scenarios with accidental offside. If it happens accidentally, it's a scrum. If it happens intentionally, it's a penalty. So then the question then becomes, this, this Walsh dude that caused this whole scenario, um, Ken, I forget his name, I'm sorry. This, this guy, was he intentionally or was he accidentally offside? Now he did kind of catch the ball for just a fraction of a second, but then he immediately let it go. Now was that some type of unfortunate reflex action or was that actually intentional? It's really hard to say. And then of course you've got to take into account that this is a very high pressure situation. It's a huge game, and whatever call the ref's gonna make is probably gonna determine the series. So the ref does the right thing, he goes upstairs and asks the TMO. So after speaking to the TMO, just to confirm, Roman Pois like, okay, so you're happy with the challenge in the air. The ball was knocked forward, penalty against 16 red for playing the ball in an offside position. And the TMO's like, yep, that's correct. For some reason, people always forget that when it comes to officiating sports, even at the highest level, there's always going to be a human element to it. And Roman Poir is one of the best referees in the world. And if you don't believe that, I'd have to question your knowledge of the game. He's good at his job, okay? That's why he's been ranked so highly for so long. Otherwise, he would have never been put in that position in the first place. Now, if you watch the video, when he finishes with a TMO, he turns away from the big screen and starts walking towards the spot where he's going to award the penalty. And as he's doing that, he takes a little, just a very quick look around the stadium. And then suddenly his buddy, Jerome Gosset, says something to him. And then he goes, oui, Jerome. And then he puts his finger on his earpiece. And for like two, three seconds, you can clearly tell that he's listening to something. And, and as soon as he's done, he walks up to Kieran Reed and Sam Warburton. And he's like, hey, it was an accidental offside. And he awards a scrum instead of a penalty, which, which I have to admit was a little weird. I really think Jerome Garcia was standing on the touchline and he was like, mm, "Let me, let me look after my boy here. I don't want to fuck this up." So he hits him up on the talkie walkie. That's that's what they call them in France. Fun fact. Anyway, he, he hits him up on the talkie walkie. and He's like, "Listen, bro, this is a big call. Okay, just take a second. All right." And I think at that moment, Roman Pol went from at least what I thought was the initial right call to suddenly questioning himself. And he's thinking to himself, "You know, um, was I right? Was I? I'm not sure. I'm, uh, fuck. Oh, shit." And then. Just like that, he panicked and, and he made the conservative choice and he watered the scrum instead of the penalty. I mean, if you consider the time in the game, the context, the whole gravity of the situation, it was, it was always going to be a tough call either way. And I think his only mistake was, was changing his mind because the moment he changed his mind, it just murked the waters. You should have been like, you know what, fuck it. Backed himself and just given the penalty. I mean, that Kiwi guy had been missing relatively easy kicks for the past two weeks straight. What are the odds that given a kick to win the series in such a high pressure situation, he was going to knock that one over? Highly unlikely. The game was probably going to end the same way anyways. In the end, I think throughout the whole series, the All Blacks were just the better team in every way. But for whatever reason, when it came down to it, they just couldn't prove it. So fair play to the Lions. But anyway... I guess tomorrow the story is, we're all a little gay. What? (laughs) Attempt number two in the can. Please give me a follow on the gram at ale tavern. Hopefully we should be open by the end of next week. Thank you for listening. I am Brian Mujat coming at you straight out of the wardrobe. Straight out of Rhodesia. Peace, love, and all that good shit. I'm out. been gone.